Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Dr. R. Douglas Fields will join us to discuss electric brain. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question a week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. show. Well, brainwaves seem like the subject of science fiction, but what can they tell you about reading minds, how we learn, and how we change for the better? Well, joining us today to discuss this issue is Dr. R. Douglas Fields. Dr. Fields is a neuroscientist and international authority on nervous system development and plasticity. Receiving advanced degrees from UC Berkeley, San Jose State University, UC San Diego, he also held postdoctoral fellowships at Stanford and Yale universities before joining the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland. His works span both popular and scientific, including In the Other Brain, and his recent release entitled electric brain. He joins us today to discuss the fascinating science of brainwaves. And Dr. Fields, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thank you. Delighted to be on your program. Certainly our pleasure. Certainly a fascinating book you've written here, Electric Brain, How the New Science of Brainwaves Reads Minds, Tells Us How We Learn, and Helps Us Change for the Better. I'm curious why you decided to write the book. Well, you know, scientists uh, know what's going to come out in their field about five years ahead of public because we're serving on grant review sessions and reviewing papers and whatnot. And I first heard about this new research about five years ago at grant meetings that was funded by the Department of Defense. And researchers were sharing their amazing results on being able to read people's minds, to be able to transmit thoughts, to meld minds and machines, all by using brainwaves and other methods of detecting electrical activity in the brain. And I was just fascinated. I couldn't talk about it then because, you know, it wasn't published, but I did start to go research these labs. I visited these labs. Scientists are very open and happy to talk and share with other scientists. And finally, as this work came out in publications, I was then able to release this information in this book. The other thing that intrigued me, though, is that there seemed to be an underlying mystery here because we don't know about brainwaves uh, in general in public, and we're not taught in school. And this is perhaps the most important discovery in electrophysiology in the last century, why don't we know the name of the person who discovered them, generally not known, and who was that person, and what did that person think they had discovered, what motivated them? And so felt there was this underlying story, and I went uh, to investigate that, went brainwaves were discovered uh, in the turn of the 20th century. So I visited these labs, went through the notebooks, and began to piece together a really fascinating story, interplay between science and society and politics that explains why this is sort of a mystery and really illuminates how science works in cooperation with uh, society. Maybe you can give us a little bit of a history of who discovered the brainwaves and what they are and giving an insight into uh, how our brains operate. Right. Well, that's a lot of information, but, you know, there's so little information available to the public and much of it is superficial and wrong. But I did go to the laboratory of the first person to record human brainwaves. That was Hans Berger. He ran a mental hospital in Jena, Germany, former East Germany, and he did his experiments on mental patients and he did them all in secret. 
He discovered brainwaves in 1924, and he didn't tell anyone what he was doing or what he discovered for five years. That's really interesting. The story had been that in World War II, with the rise of Nazism, Berger committed suicide because of Nazi prosecution. But in talking with historians and going through his notes, I learned that, that that's a false story. Actually, Berger was a Nazi sympathizer, and he was in charge of forced ser sterilizations. The eugenics movement started in mental hospitals and was later moved to concentration camps. So Berger and other psychologists were right in the middle of it. And if you weren't in favor of the Nazis during that period, you were purged. So it never made sense. So that's one of the reasons I think that we don't know about him. The history is fascinating because he was not the first person to record brainwaves. The very first person, and I'm going to leave out another very important person, but the very first person recorded brainwaves in 1875. Okay, there's no electricity flowing through anything in you know the man-made world in 1875. How did he do that? And he did this in London, and it was a London physician. His name was Richard Caton. And the fascinating thing is that he made this discovery using equipment you could get out of your garage. I mean, it has to be non-electric equipment. And recorded brainwaves, he got this all right. He published it, and nobody cared. Nobody got it. Nobody understood it. So here's a discovery that was ahead of its time by half a century. And I think that's fascinating because today somebody has published a new finding in a journal. People have read it. They don't get it. It's too far ahead of its time, and it'll be dismissed and forgotten. I think that's really a fascinating uh, story about how science works. It could probably be a book in itself. You know, the public's largely unaware that there's this revolution taking place in brain science right now. It's going to transform medicine and change society in profound waves because electrical activity in the brain can be detected through the scalp using brainwave analysis, EEG, but also other methods. And this is giving insight into neurological disorders, psychological conditions, and even revealing capabilities of an individual's brain, you know, what you're good at and what you're not good at. This is going to profoundly change education. So brain waves are generated by neurons firing in the cerebral cortex. Uh, we all know that neurons communicate by electrical impulses. And when you have enough of those neurons firing together, that creates an electric field. And that electric field will permeate through the brain. So these brain waves are oscillating out through your brain tissue constantly from the time your brain was first formed until you die, whether you're awake or sleep. Right now, your brain waves and mine and your listeners are in sync with each other. But these brain waves can propagate out through the skull and be picked up by an electrode on the head. Now, you can't detect the individual firing of a neuron that way. You, to do that, you need to stick an electrode into the brain. What you're getting is sort of the combined crowd action of many neurons firing together. It's much like listening to a stadium. You could tell from the roar of the stadium a lot about what's going on in the field, but you can't hear individual conversations. So that's what brainwaves are. Of course, they come in many different waves and frequencies, but I should perhaps stop right there and let you ask some more questions. <laughs> well, activity from a lot of different neurons. Is there any information that could be deciphered out of this? Hearing the crowd above the individual actors talking? Brainwaves and the other methods of detecting electrical activity in your brain can really hack your brain. It can allow researchers to know what you're thinking, know what emotion you're experiencing. It can tell your conscious and pre-conscious thoughts. It can tell what your mind can do, what your brain can do well and poorly. Predict what you're going to do, your actions, and allow you to control machines with your mind and allow machines to control behavior by stimulating appropriate circuits in the brain. 
that can be used to analyze and diagnose neurological disorders. Everybody's familiar with epilepsy, but a wide range of neurological disorders, I think eventually all of them will be able to be detected by monitoring electrical activity in the brain. But even psychological disorders... And then finally, we can treat these conditions by modifying electrical activity in the brain by brain stimulation or various types of non-invasive stimulation, neurofeedback and rhythmic stimulation. You've known about these brain waves for a century, but uh, how is it now that we've sort of become more aware of formations containing the brain waves? Where does the fundamental insight come in into how much can be done with these brain waves? Well, that's the other reason I wrote the book is because that question is at the forefront of neuroscience right now. There's no question that brain waves are there. You stick an electrode in the brain or you use any of these other methods, and clearly these brain waves are active and taking place and changing with our moods and thoughts and cognition and give tremendous insight into brain function. But there's a tremendous controversy right now in the field over whether brain waves constitute a, a new fundamental mechanism for how the brain functions. And these people believe that brain waves, like other waves, coupled together by coherence and destructive and constructive and destructive interaction, can couple together groups of neurons. So, for example, when you have a memory, you pull up a memory, it comes with very rich collections of sounds, sights, smells, your emotions, sequence. All of those activities take place in different parts of your brain, very different parts of the brain, visions in the back, for example, olfaction smells in the front. So how does all of this information all over your brain come together in a memory? Scientists believe that brain waves are what couple all this information together. That's just one example. So this is a new fundamental mechanism of how the brain operates that can explain a lot of mysteries that have long persisted. The other half of the field think that brain waves are nothing, that they do nothing. We have neurons, they fire by electrical impulses, and as a consequence, they're going to generate electric fields. And to these scientists, brain waves are much like the noise of an automobile engine, having nothing to do with the mechanism of its operation. So that's actually why I wrote the book. I wrote it in three parts. The first was about the, the history, the discovery of the brain waves. The second part was what we're talking about now. I want the reader to experience science in action. And that is this controversy about what brainwaves are. And I take uh, the reader in around the world to my colleagues and let them hear their science uh, and discuss these issues and see how science works, because the answers are not in the back of the book. Let the reader decide for themselves, they think, if they're fundamental or just the fumes. And then part three is that regardless of whether you think brainwaves are the, the new mechanism of how the brain works or they're just noise, nobody doubts has any question that brainwaves are very important in diagnosing and treating neurological and psychological illnesses and in telling us how the brain functions. So that's part three, the ability to control brainwaves, to change your health and your behavior by modulating brainwaves. So whether or not you think that they're fundamental to how the brain operates or just some sort of emergent phenomenon, still some sort of practical use. Yes, exactly. I guess to get to the crux of the problem, what scientists are grappling with is all of our data, and it's strong data, and there's a lot of data, but it's all correlation, all right? You close your eyes, and alpha waves increase in amplitude. When you open your eyes, and alpha waves go away. 
that's a correlation. How do you tie that into causation? That is the problem that scientists are grappling with. And there are many scientists who are implanting oscillations into the brain. They're changing behavior. They're implanting memories. They're modifying fear conditioning or, or fear conditioning is like PTSD. It's like learning to fear a certain environment and controlling that by putting in oscillatory activity in the brain. But scientists have to be very skeptical. Much of the data is still correlation. And when you induce an oscillation in the brain by electrical stimulation, well, you've also done a lot of other things. You have stimulated the neurons and make them fire more. So this is the controversy right now. Much of this dependent upon how exact that you're putting into the brain can be rendered. Are we very precise in terms of how we can perturb the brain to give different oscillations? Well, that's true. And in experimental animals, we can do a lot more. But this has also been done in humans. By using electrodes implanted into the brain, that gives you the best control. And that's been done since the 50s. Jose Delgado is famous for having done this research in the 50s, which largely was brought to a halt because of people concerned about uh, mind control. And this was very fearful to society at large, although overhyped. But Delgado was famous for controlling a charging bowl by stimulating electrode in his brain with a radio-controlled transmitter and stopping that bowl. But that was a demonstration. He was really trying to control human behavior by stimulation. And he would stimulate different parts of the brain and elicit uh, rage or bodily motions or sexual desire. And his real goal was to control human deviant behavior. So that's the best way. There are other ways we can beam ultrasound into the brain and stimulate neurons. We can use direct current stimulation. You can do it yourself or order these on the devices on the internet, not recommending it, but you can do that. Um, you can use transcranial magnetic stimulation. These all have advantages and disadvantages. So the ability to control activity in neural circuits, I think, is what's going to be transformative. The methods we have now to treat psychological conditions are just not satisfactory. You apply a drug like an SSRI, and it affects not only the circuit you're interested in, but every other circuit that's got those receptors. In fact, every cell in the body that has those receptors gets affected. Psychosurgery, prefrontal lobotomy, those were abused. They're very blunt. ECT, electric uh, shock of the brain, electroconvulsive shock, is very therapeutic and very effective for treating chronic depression. We don't know how it works, but it's still the idea that you would just put bolts of Electricity in the brain causes seizure, loss of consciousness, and hope that when the patient comes out of that, the brain would reset itself seems just too blunt. So this is where science is going, the ability to control individual circuits with precise stimulation and you know other methods like neurofeedback can achieve the same thing almost the subject of science fiction, but how close are we with putting the stimulus in and then, of course, reading out what signals are coming from the brain? Right. It sounds like science fiction, but it's not. This is being done in laboratories around the world, well replicated, but and destined to find its way into practical medicine soon. But as you know, it's always the case that it takes a while before it, it, uh, advances in the research lab make it into the clinic. So this is not science fiction. It's, it's happening right now. Reading out information of the brain is going to be much easier than putting in information. And you may be aware that Zuckerberg and Musk have both invested in brain-computer interface technology. And I go into that in detail, interviewing many spinal cord injury patients who are controlling robotic arms with their minds. But here we have these two industrial giants engaged in brain-computer interface technology, putting a lot of money into it. Reading out information is easier. Putting in information is harder. You have 86 billion neurons in your brain. So which one do I stimulate? 
<laughs> if I want to stimulate and, and put in something, how do I stimulate it? We don't know the neural code. We don't know that in the sense that we understand software code, for example. Is that neuron in your brain the same one in mine in the same place? No, we know that's not true. And actually, the challenges are really daunting. Elon Musk is trying to develop a method to implant more electrodes. He thinks that that is what we need. And it's great to have this industrial technology moving the, the science, this technology, but the biological problems are really huge. So he wants to put in 3,000 electrodes. Well, let's take a circuit that has only 300 neurons. Now, let's simplify and say each of those neurons can be on or off. And that's a simplification because there is a neural code, all kinds of neural codes, but on or off. How many possible ways to stimulate those 300 neurons are there? And you may know because you know you have a strong math background, but that is two raised to the 300. That's more than all the atoms in the universe. So I think that gives us some sense for how amazing the brain is, but also the challenges to go in and be able to control neural networks. But I've talked to scientists who are doing this kind of work, and the way they think it's going to work is not with our machine learning or our technological ability alone. What's going to make it work and is showing promise in laboratory experiments is the brain's ability to learn. So, for example, they will show a mouse blue square, record the activity of the networks of neurons in response to that blue square, then put that same activity into a brain of another mouse. And even though they've got all the problems of which neurons to stimulate and, and how to stimulate and whether those neurons are the right ones or not, regardless, this information is going into the brain and the brain is recognizing it and probably going to act on it, make useful information about over that input. So there is promise, but it's a difficult problem. You mentioned earlier this controversy about what these brainwaves actually mean, not to bias the reader, but do you fall one way or the other on that question? Well, I do, but I think it's better, really, for the reader to form their own opinion. I present both sides, and I use a narrative reporting style in part two of the book to achieve that. I let the reader decide, but obviously, I wouldn't have written the book if I didn't think this was important and, uh, you know, very fundamental. And I would also say that current understanding about how the brain works and what you learn in school with this sort of electric circuit doorbell analogy, that's just too simplistic. There needs to be something more sophisticated in terms of how the brain operates at higher levels. We were just talking with Dr. R. Douglas Fields. He is the author of the new book, Electric Brain, How the New Science of Brain Waves Reads Minds, Tells Us How We Learn, and Helps Us Change for the Better. And Dr. Fields, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Well, thanks again. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.